Well, it's good to be with you today, and I want to begin by reading you three verses from Scripture, 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us as an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, and when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth rightly. Well, with God's help, I want to speak to you about avoiding burnout by 10 ways of coping with criticism in the ministry. So I'm going to have to move very fast to get 10 ways in in a short period of time. But I think by God's grace, we hope to do that. And I hope that they will be helpful to you as ministers of the gospel in this major problem, which produces so many burnt out ministers in not learning how to cope with criticism in the ministry. So first, let's pray. Dear Lord, we ask for thy help and guidance and benediction and insight and wisdom as we speak on this very much neglected yet very important subject, coping with criticism in the ministry. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, criticism is the number one reason why ministers burn out as well as abandon their calling. And it is astonishing to me why so little has been written on this subject. Now, our calling as ministers is not to be above all criticism, but rather to cope with criticism faithfully, seeing it as God's opportunity to mature and sanctify us so that we learn faithfulness also in this area of our ministry, the area of criticism. So in this address, I want to present you with 10 practical ways of responding to criticism faithfully. <coughs> Number one, consider criticism to be inevitable. There's an old Dutch expression that says, he who stands up in the front will get kicked in the rear. You can't possibly be a leader, you see, and live in perpetual honeymoon with your church family and have no criticism. John Wesley once said in his diary or his journal, Lord, what's wrong? I haven't received any criticism all day long. You see, ministers engage in what's been called visioneering. You, you have visions of and how to implement it. And change itself prompts criticism from those who are accustomed to the status quo. So you can't be a minister without getting criticism. Jesus said, woe unto you when all men shall speak 
well of you. So expect it. Don't be surprised by it. Don't be ambush, ambushed by it. That's number one. Number two, consider the motive and the source. It's uh, important, you see, to, uh, to get the facts straight, to listen well, to understand the criticism rightly and accurately. Have you really heard the problem you're struggling with? Have you really heard the problem rightly? Is there something perhaps deeper? Is, is, is the person criticizing you because the person himself or herself has some unresolved anger or depression or life changes or frustration or jealousy or shattered expectations? What, what really is motivating the criticism? A key question here is, is this person really desirous for the genuine improvement of my ministry, or is it indicative of something else? Is it coming from the love of his heart or her heart? You see, understanding the critic's motive will help you cope with criticism much more effectively. So as a general rule, as a fallback position, give your critic the benefit of the doubt. Assume his motive is pure, unless you have solid grounds to think otherwise. And also knowing here what to expect from certain types of people can be helpful. Flatterers who fawn over you will probably soon turn against you. Those who crave special attention are often quick to be hurt when they don't get it. The power hungry will work with you as long as they feel they're in control. But if you cross them, they'll turn your church life into a battleground. Gossipers are like moles working underground, disturbing the beautiful sod in the church, making a mess by throwing up their piles of dirt. So you need to ask, what's the source of this criticism? Is it an office bearer, a mature believer, a babe in Christ, an unbeliever, a fringe member? Or someone who's a critical person it makes a huge difference. If it's an esteemed office bearer, you better receive that criticism. Welcome it. It's probably for your good. Number three, consider the content of the criticism. You know, we can learn valuable truths about ourselves from our critics. And we should be grateful for that. Some of our best friends are our critics who disagree with us lovingly, openly, intelligently. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Helpful criticism is like good medicine, though it can be hard to swallow. David Polison writes, Critics like governing authorities are servants of God to you for good. He who sees into hearts uses critics to help us see things in ourselves. Outright failings of faith and practice, distorted emphases, blind spots, areas of neglect, attitudes and actions contradictory to stated commitments, and yes, strengths and significant contributions. So ask yourself, what are the critics saying that might help me improve myself and my ministry? Now, 
if critics say something that's true, that can be helpful, absorb it, confess your fault, take the lead in self-criticism, ask for forgiveness wholeheartedly, make changes for the better, and then move on. If they offer nothing true or helpful, thank them for caring enough to speak to you, thank them graciously, and then move on. Move on, move on, you see. Either way, don't let criticism fester inside of you, but deal with it and move on. And then as you move on, bury yourself in your work. Enjoy your God, your family, your friends, and don't develop a spirit of pessimism. Don't get self-defensive or angry, but turn the other cheek. In general, don't try to explain and justify yourself. That will come across defensively. Sometimes, sometimes a straightforward explanation is more helpful than respectful silence. But often it's not. Usually our friends don't need the explanation and our enemies won't believe us anyhow. And refuse to sink to the level of the negative critic. Don't render evil for evil. Remember, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. But do ask the question, why am I being misunderstood? Do my sermons, my, my attitudes, my personal traits somehow combine to send the wrong me message? Am I ignoring certain things that should be addressed? Well, you see, often our critics are at least partially right, maybe 10% right, maybe 30% right. Sometimes they're 100% right. So they can save me from myself. They can lead me to greater dependence on God. Number four, consider the context, the context or situation out of which criticism comes can help determine whether the criticism is helpful or not. And so you need time. When you get criticized, most of us need time to think it through and then to respond. So as a general rule, I, I try not to respond to criticism within 24 hours. I just think it's better to give it a little bit of time. I tend to be softer after I have time to pray about it and time to consult a close friend or so, ask for wisdom, uh, reflection, getting past the initial hurt. Uh, prayer is, does wonders. Taking the complaint, first of all, to God is a good thing to do. It reduces anxiety level, provides clarity of mind, rekindles passion for what is right and true. But also remember this, in a church, you can become better known for your reactions than for your actions. If you can't handle criticism, it will catch up with you. It will impact your ministry negatively, sometimes destroy it. So remember this, truth has a way of vindicating itself over time. So stay calm, walk with integrity before God and before your church members and most of the time, the criticisms will fade away in a month or two or, or three. Luke 21, 19 says, In your patience, 
possess ye your souls. Number five, consider yourself. Critics are often God's gifts to guard us from self-satisfied attitudes and self-destructive tendencies. The Holy Spirit uses our critics to keep us from justifying, protecting, exalting ourselves. So ask yourself, am I responding appropriately to this criticism? Remember, those who have an ear for Christ learn to have an ear for others also. So if you're always habitually feeling slighted, neglected, mistreated, view your feelings with suspicion. Let yourself become more vulnerable. You complain less if you consider how little criticism you receive. Because we all deserve more criticism than we receive. Compared with Christ, who is perfect in word and deed, but was criticized unsparingly all the days of his earthly ministry and finally condemned and crucified. So, consider helping yourself by getting an accountability partner or two or th maybe even three and seek their wisdom <coughs> that they might help you monitor your reactions. And don't be afraid to say, I, I was wrong. Would you, would you please forgive me? I, I like to have three accountability partners in my, in my life. Uh, the first, of course, being my wife. If your wife is honest with you and uh, is confidential and wise, thank God for such a wife, she, she can be a wonderful accountability partner. And her honesty, loving honesty, can be a great help to you. But second, I try to have a trustworthy friend who's on the inside circle in my life, maybe someone from my local consistory or church session, who's wise. And I ask them things like this. If you ever see any pride coming out of me, please, please confront me. Please pull me aside privately and tell me. Or you see anything that I'm doing wrong, uh, or you think I could do better, just please let me know. And usually I try to have one elder fill that role for me. And then third, a, a fellow minister, a fellow elder from another church whose wisdom I, I greatly admire. This has been a huge help for me. I've leaned on one man for nearly 40 years now who's very, very wise and never seems to tire of me calling. And uh, he's, been, he's been just a great help. I tell him the criticism I received. I tell him how I think I should respond. And then I ask him, you think I'm on target here? You think I can do it a bit better? And nine times out of ten, he's, he says, well, I think you're going in the right direction, but maybe you want to also add this, or maybe you don't want to do that. He kind of tweaks it for me and uh, makes sense. Most of the time I think, why didn't I think about that? So get good accountability partners and, and, and consider yourself, who you are, and uh, other people can help you. Focus on that internally as well with their advice. Number six, consider scripture. The ego or self-image 
of some of us as ministers is so fragile, we can't even endure small dosages of criticism without crumbling. Uh, we need to develop better emotional muscle. Some other ministers are so battle-hardened by the ministry that their hearts are, as someone said, like the height of a rhinoceros. And they need to recover the heart of a child. Actually, we need both. We need to cultivate the heart of a child for faithful criticism and the height of a rhinoceros for faithless criticism. And that combination is challenging to reach, but God can help us. And one way God helps us is by using Scripture in our lives, memorizing, meditating upon such texts as these. Ephesians 6.10, Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Romans 12.10, Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. Romans 8.28, This text has helped me a lot. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. So, we use Scripture to teach ourselves, to comfort ourselves with the fact that God makes no mistakes in our lives. God gives us the exact amount of criticism He thinks we need. What I do now, Jesus said to Peter, you don't know, but you will know hereafter. No chastening, Hebrews 12 says, for the present seems to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to them who are exercised thereby. You see, reading these texts and thousands more like them, meditating on them, memorizing them, letting them permeate our hearts and minds, marinating, as it were, in them, even in our heaviest of tribulations, will be a great help to us in coping with criticism. And then number seven, which to me is the most important of all ten. Consider Christ. That's why I just read to you from 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23. Hebrews 12, 3 says it this way, Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. You see, if Christ being holy, harmless, undefiled, was maligned, falsely accused, scourged, crowned with thorns, mocked, struck in the face, spat upon, rejected, crucified, what can we imperfect pastors expect? If one of Jesus' hand-picked apostles betrayed him for a paltry sum, another swore he did not know him for fear of suffering with him, what should we expect to carry on our ministers without ever being attacked? What? without ever being betrayed or deserted? You see, if our critics happen to be in error and we are suffering unjustly, shouldn't we thank God that they don't know how bad we really are? Now, what happened to me one time is I got charged by one of my elders of something that I absolutely did not do whatsoever, there was zero percent of truth in this criticism. And I was, I was pretty upset and angry and uh, couldn't pray very well about it. I was kind of pacing the floor of my study. And I just, in my angst, took a book down from the shelf and opened it up. And I'm reading for a few pages and suddenly the author says, 
You know, maybe you've been criticized unfairly and there's no truth in it at all and you're getting bitter. Praise the Lord. I'm going, what? Praise the Lord. What does he mean? He says, praise the Lord that that critic doesn't know half how bad you really are in the depths of your soul. You see, people can say false things about you when you're really worse than the false things they say. And you thank God they don't know your inner man. And when that hit home for me, I was, I was soon on my wee knees weeping, weeping with thankfulness. And I uh, wish I had more such moments in my life. But for me, you see, this is the very best way of coping with criticism. Once we understand that no matter how much we are criticized, we're never criticized as much as we deserve, and we're never criticized as much as Jesus was, and he was absolutely perfect, we can then turn to Christ and be amazed at what he has endured to deliver you and me from all the bonds of unjust criticism. So consider Christ. Consider his afflictions. Consider his power and his presence with you, despite your afflictions. Consider his patience with you, his perseverance for you. Consider his prayers and his purpose to use your every critic to make you a partaker of his suffering and image. Consider his loving eternal plan for you to use every trial to make you ready to be with him where he is, in glory, in the Father's house, at the Father's right hand. Why then should you complain and be bitter? Consider Jesus. Drink deeply of his love. Embrace your altogether lovely Savior. Find your delight in him, and you will conquer anger and self-pity by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And you will be able to pray for and with your critic. Thank God for how Jesus coped with criticism. And number eight, consider your duty of love. Your duty of love. Love the one who criticizes you. Jesus says, love your enemies. Let iron sharpen iron. Be willing to forgive any injury done to you. Failure to forgive will keep the pain alive. It will hinder your prayer life. It will sour your preaching. It will cripple your ministry. I love the way Spurgeon put it. He says, unless you forgive others, you read your own death warrant every time you repeat the Lord's Prayer. Forgive and forget. He goes on to say, when you bury a dead dog, don't leave its tail sticking up above the ground. Don't revisit it once it's done. Resolved. Pray with your critic. Pray lovingly with your critic, with integrity, with faith, with humility, and pray for your critic in private. It's hard to stay angry against someone you're praying for. I feel compassion for your negative critic. I remember one time visiting the family where the father was speaking against me in front of his children. I was, I was really angry. I didn't respond well. But later when I left, I was halfway home, and suddenly this wave of pity came over me. What this father is doing is destroying his children. 
I felt sorry for the children. I, so, I felt sorry for the father. And my anger was gone. So put away, put away anything that inhibits love. Loving your critic will also yield a side benefit for you. Your own wounds will heal much more rapidly. So if your critic rebuffs your attempts to serve him, reach out to serve others. Comfort the needy, lift up the fallen, support the weak. Don't fixate yourself on your one critic. You know, sometimes I think to myself, why am I so bothered with one comment by one person in my church of 750 people? I should think this way. Well, one is complaining while 749 are not. So get over it and go forward and love even the one who is. Number nine, consider eternity. On the other side of Jordan, our faithful Savior will be waiting for us. He will never let us down. He loves us even though he knows everything about us. And he will take us to be with him where he is forever. And remember in eternity there will be perfect unity. There will be no criticism. There will be no denominations, no divisions, no disagreements, no theological arguments, no misunderstandings, no ignorance. Luther and Calvin, Wesley and Whitfield will agree fully on every point. I love what Spurgeon said here. He said in heaven, even most fundamental, problematic things that divide people will be resolved. Then he goes on to say, you know, when it comes to pedo-baptism, both sides can't be right. One is right, one is wrong. But God makes your heart right and he'll straighten out your head when you'll get to heaven as well. And whichever one is wrong, that one will gladly agree and everyone will be united in heaven. You see, in heaven, three great truths will become perfect reality for us. First, we will understand that all criticism we received here below was used in the hands of our potter to shape us as vessels fit for Emmanuel's land. Second, we will see fully that all criticism endured on earth is but a light affliction compared to the weight of glory that it has awaited us. And third, in heaven, we will be more than repaid for every affliction we endured on earth for the sake of our best and perfect friend, Jesus Christ. Happy day when this mortality shall put an immortality, this corruption, incorruption, and will ever be with the Lord. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glo glory, but on my king of grace. Not at the crown he gifteth, but on his pierced hand. The lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. And so in conclusion, number 10, consider walking positively by faith. My friend, you've got the most important occupation in all the world being a minister of the gospel. My dad used to say to me, I was called to the ministry when I was 15. He used to say to me as a teenager, son, if you ever become a minister of the gospel, you've got a job that's more important than being in the White House. Because you're dealing with the souls of people, their eternal welfare. 
Richard Baxter said, I would not change my life for any of the greatest dignities on earth. I'm contented to consume my body, to sacrifice to God's service, and to spend all that I have, and to be spent myself for the souls of men. Edward Payson used to sit in his study and clap his hands for joy and say, I can't believe I'm called to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors of the King of Kings. And we have his promise that his word will not return to him void. We have Christ as our intercessor in heaven. We have the Holy Spirit as our intercessor in our own hearts. Just trust God. Trust God that he will not allow criticism beyond what he provides grace for us to bear. And that all the criticism will work together for our good. So don't resign from the ministry. But re-sign, re-enlist in the cause of Christ's army. And you have the best of assurances that in the fight, the promises of God will uphold you. You have the best of advocates and generals in Jesus Christ. You have the best of field commanders in the Holy Spirit. You have the best of rewards and results, everlasting glory. Fred Malone put it this way. We must quit expecting people to respond properly to us, making them our tin gods of life and death. This is idolatry, to live and die upon our people's behavior. Rather, say with Paul, having received mercy, we faint not. For the comfort of God's mercy received is the only lasting motivation I have ever found to labor on in trial. End quote. So repent. And believe afresh. And walk by faith. And lift up the hands that hang down. And the feeble knees. And make straight paths for your feet. And every time you take a look at yourself. As the Puritans used to say. Make sure you take ten looks to Jesus. And do you know when you can start complaining about the ministry? You can start complaining when you've given as much for Christ. As he has given for you. Gird up the loins of your mind. Stand fast. Your Savior is greater than Apollyon and the times and your critics. Your sender will not desert you. Hold fast to him who holds fast to you and holds you fast to him so that even when friends desert you, you can trust him as a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So put your hands again to the plow. Despite your weakness, despite your hurts, continue with double earnestness to serve your Lord when no visible result is before you, said Spurgeon. Pray more and look at discouraging circumstances less. And as John Flavel said, don't bury your church before she be dead. Remember Christ's promise to his own servants in Isaiah 54, verse 17. And I close with this. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Let's pray. Great God, help us to use these 10 practical guidelines to cope with criticism by considering these 10 things 
and help us to come out of criticism, clinging the more to Jesus Christ. Bless this talk, especially to hurting ministers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.